welcome to an all new Talking Fußball Extra, the Ausstieg Edition. Happy New Year, guys! Bundesliga 2 is back, Dritte Liga has been going on for some time, Regionalliga is heating up as well. So, time to dive back in. My name is Nick Wiltang, and joining me once again is my panel of experts. On my left, I've got our Bundesliga 2 insider and the woman who knows good players and where to find them is Jasmine Barber. That sounds like a really good book series. I'm sure it's been done, but that sounds really good. Really catchy. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. And on my right-hand side, there's a man who finally could cheer about a win and who can be happy about the new Julian Nagelsmann at his club. It's Mike Krikemeyer. Happy New Year. And uh, it's, it's one year since we celebrated our last away win. So yes, oh, <laughs> everything will be fine from now on. Yes. Great. So, in part one, my name is Nick Bittlein, by the way, if I hadn't mentioned that so far. But anyways, in part one of the show, we'll be diving into the Bundesliga 2, what's been going on of late. And we're going to talk about some signings and some notable stories, like the one of Kaiserslautern. Part two, we'll take a closer look at some sackings in the Dritte Liga, because not only one not only two, but three coaches were sacked today <laughs> as we were recording this, which uh, is kind of a strange day. And additionally, Mike wants to walk you through the Regionalliga and the promotion race there. So all of that is to come. So stay tuned for that. Right, here we go. It's part one of Talking Foosball Extra, the Ausstieg edition. Now, Mike, you look a much happier man than you did last time we spoke. How come? Well, not really, because I really, 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 really liked our coach, Timo Schulz. I know Jasmine might not be on my side that much, but in the end, I really liked him. And I don't think he's the one to blame, but... Nevertheless, he was sacked after, I don't know, three or four weeks after the last match day last year. And he was replaced by one of his co-trainers. So it's Fabian Hürzela. And he's the youngest coach at the moment in professional football in Germany. And he, well, he changed tactics uh, a little bit at least. And, well, we won. And like I said before, our last away win was last year in February in Ingolstadt. Our last away win without a goal against us was two years ago in HSV. And the last away win without a goal against us outside of Hamburg was four years ago. And yeah, so I can't complain. He, he did everything right, although it was really, really, really bad football in Nuremberg, but from both teams on the weekend. It was a 1-0 win, but uh, it's two sides that are down in the dumps, basically. Uh, Nuremberg have changed their coaches as well a little bit earlier this season. Marcus Weinziel coming in for Robert Klaus. So Marcus Weinziel really hasn't been able to turn things around that much at Nuremberg. Well, St. Pauli are off to a much better start under the new coach. Now, Jasmine, Mike mentioned there that Hürzler is sort of a little bit different when it comes to his tactics compared to their former coach, Timo Schulz. So... What is he doing differently compared to Schultz? So there's a lot of comparisons being thrown around that he is Nagelsmann because of his age, which I think I've heard a little bit too much in the first 
two weekends. But really his um, tactical nows really comes from like Guardiola and a more possessional based sort of play. I didn't catch much of the game this weekend and apparently I didn't miss much this weekend. So um, it's probably way too early to say what he has been doing. But that's the kind of type of football that we can expect from Herzler. I don't know how it will work just because of the kind of embedded tactics they had under Timo Schultz, which was 4-4-2, quite intensive, um, 4-4-2 diamond, sorry, quite intensive, more out-of-possession-based football. And yeah, it's a bit of a stir because he's a young coach. It's obviously a bit of a risk, especially when Sam Pauli are in a relegation battle. Normally, teams go for coaches who have navigated through a relegation battle before, have been head coach before, all of these different things. So it's quite interesting to see how this goes. I know it was a bit of a fuss when he first started because there was the training camp in Spain and the preseason friendly against Werder Bremen was cancelled and other preseason friendlies took place instead. So yeah, weird to see how he can get the players to listen to him, to believe in his style of tactics. But, you know, coming back with one win is always a good start. It is. And, uh, you know, things are looking a lot more brightly for Zampaudi if you just look at the table right now, because they jumped from, uh, what was it, 15th to 10th? But that might just tell you a thing or two about how close things are getting down there, because in bottom position, you've got Magdeburg on 17 points. And if you go all the way up to 9th, you've got Hansa Rostock, who are on 21 points, just four points above them, which basically at this stage in the season is, well, nothing really. You know, the teams between 8th and 5th, they're not really, they're, they're really starting to be in nowhere land because they are eight points behind Heidenheim in 3rd. So you sort of have like a three-tier system in the Bundesliga 2 right now with the... Uh, Basically, 10 teams fighting against relegation, four or five teams fighting for nothing, and then there are four teams trying to get into the promotion race. And let's talk about one of those teams that is still in the promotion race, and that is HSV, San Pauli's cross-town neighbors. So last time we left you with HSV, uh, things were chaotic, as they tend to be. Now, let's just quickly get around the, one of the things that we talked about last time. I think it was the, that was the fact that Marshall Janssen didn't look too popular guy. He got re-elected. And any thoughts about that, Mike? Like, really quickly and, you know, not going into too much detail because with HSV, there's always a danger that you get into too much detail. Yeah, well, um, there were two people wanting him to be sacked. There was the annual uh, meeting at HSV and uh, they they planned to do that, but it would need it, I think, 75%. Marcel Janssen said... Even if there will be 50%, I will go on my own because there's no trust in me anymore. In the end, I think it was uh, far below that. So uh, he will stay there. Uh, yeah, he still needs to discuss with Klaus Michael Kühne how to proceed because they still need the money to rebuild the stadium. Everything gets more expensive, as we all know. So... It won't get boring at HSV. We will still have enough to discuss in the upcoming episodes. So probably more 
thrilling is what happens with Mario Vuskovic. We talked about the doping incident uh, with EPO uh, in the last episode and next week. So this Friday, I think, on the 3rd of February and next week on the 9th of February, there will be the trial at the DFB and still everyone assumes that it will be a four-year ban for him, which will probably be the end of his career. And of course, HSV is doing everything to stop that, but I don't see any way uh, for him to get rid of that. So I expect... I mean, what is their counter argument to the DFB's evidence? Yeah. I mean, they opened both the A and B sample. Uh, both of them were positive. Yeah. I mean, I know that, that Pep Guardiola got around something similar back during his days in Italy when... A physician actually wrote him a note that his levels of that certain substance were naturally high. That's not possible for EPO, as far as I know. And I mean, EPO is something that is naturally in your body, but you boost your, you know, your oxygen uptake by putting some more EPO into your system. Which uh, I mean, cyclists describe it like I mean, when you cycle for like in these Tour de France uh, stages for like 170 kilometers, cyclists say that you know you feel good up till a certain point, and uh, after 120, 130 kilometers, you you're sort of starting to hit the wall with EPO. You can go like 20, 30, 40 kilometers more without hitting that wall. That what it does for you basically. It's basically mostly used in you know cross country skiing and cycling and. Well, what they try to explain uh, or what they try to do is to do a DNA test, probably to prove that the test was not done by Mario Vuskovic, but or at least the test that they do have opened. And of course, the DFB, as well as the NADA, who is not in charge, so the National Anti-Doping Association, they are um, not in charge. They forwarded this whole process to the DFB and they denied to do that because they said there were witnesses when we did the tests so there's no need to do it let's wait and see uh next week we'll be smarter or we will know more <laughs> so i mean the defense is basically it's not his piss yeah <laughs> great whose piss is it what else should they do they don't have any chance and and from from his point of view the only way to get out of this is to play with open guards and tell the DFB, okay, the responsible person for this is either the club or the national team or whoever. And then in that case, if he can prove it, there might be a chance that his ban will not be four years, but it might be only one year. But I don't think that this will happen. And, and if he blames HSV, well, then we do have a totally different discussion, of course. In a new podcast. I think, I mean, once that sentence handed down, the tendency, I mean, a lot of players who've been convicted in these sort of trials have come out at the later stage and played with open cards in the aftermath when they've got nothing left to lose, basically. And let's see if he does it. Because, I mean, from the outset, the defense, oh, it's not his urine. When you know that there are clear-cut procedures that have to be followed and, yeah, it's a weak defense. But uh, uh, on the other hand side, I'm, I'm surprised that the DFB is saying, well, we're not going to subject this urine to DNR sample because, honestly, if you can confirm that this is another time, then the entire defense would basically collapse. 
even more. Jasmine, you've written Paderborn's new guy into the script. Tell me, who's the new guy at Paderborn? Who's unfortunate enough to move to the Pader? So let's start with why they had to get a new guy. Basically, in the Bundesliga, VfB Stuttgart sacked their sporting director, Sven Mislintap, which led to an opening. And they went for Paderborn sporting director, Fabian Volgemer. Left an opening at Paderborn and Paderborn went for another left field choice because they're known for making left field choices for their sporting director and went with Benny Weber, which is not to be mistaken with Hertha's new person, Benjamin Weber. There's another one, which is in like consecutive weeks this has happened. So not to be confused. No, but it's actually Benjamin Weber from Thomas Tuchel's coaching stuff. So he was his video analyst from Mainz all the way up until Chelsea, until Tuchel got fired recently. So he was his video analyst. He started at Mainz just cutting video there. No past background in football. So yeah, really, really different for Paderborn to hire a video analyst as their new sporting director. And it's kind of reminiscent of when Paderborn brought in Marcus Kroescher, which we hopefully should all know, who's currently at Eintracht Frankfurt and was also RB Leipzig, because he was a assistant coach under Rog Schmidt at Bayer Leverkusen before he went to Paderborn. And that turned out to be a good signing for them. So despite him being with Thomas Tuchel for 12 years and you know, not being in any sort of this kind of role before, Paderborn have made him their new sporting director. So it's interesting to see how this plays out and structure-wise, if they go for promotion once again, they were a little bit behind, they have been for a while. They got knocked out of the DFB Pokal just as we were recording. So yeah, it is interesting because we've obviously seen Paderborn reach Bundesliga and they keep on trying to push there for again. So yeah, interesting to see how that develops under Benny Weber. Yes, it will be. And uh, well, I mean, the summer transfer window is probably going to give us more answers uh, about his quality as a sporting director because, uh, you know, I mean, logically speaking, going by the season that Paderborn is having, I mean, they're, they're one of those four sides that have sort of so far behind the race for promotion that you kind of would count them out of it at the moment but you know how quickly things can change the Bundesliga mm, seven points yeah I mean Werner were further behind that's exactly the one <laughs> I know I know I know I mean statistically speaking they're in the bunch that hasn't got very high hopes for promotion at this stage but yeah. if they're not getting promotion this year he will have to sell a few players and he will have to get in replacements and then we'll see what he's made of Club that's done well in terms of uh, getting in the right players after a very, very strange promotion campaign last season is Kaiserslautern. Now, we talked about them last season saying what on earth is going on firing Marco Antwerp shortly before the promotion playoff that they were playing in, bringing in a certain Dirk Schuster who is well known for attacking football, tiki tack. No, no, he's playing defensive bastard football. <laughs> so they brought him Dirk Schuster, but you have to say, after that, now, now the Kaiserslautern have done the double over Hanover as well, which sort of knocked Hanover back into the bunch of teams with Paderborn, 
and brought Kaiserslautern into the reach of the promotion places, only four points behind Heidenheim now. You have to say that move really paid off, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, at the time of them bringing him, Dirk Schuster in, remember Kaiserslautern were in automatic promotion places, had lost, I think, three on the bounce with Antwerp, and they were like, well, we've dropped into promotion. This team doesn't look like they're winning. Nothing's getting done. Let's take a chance. And they did, and it paid off, and I was there as Therese then got relegated to them in the and tried to set the stadium on fire, got in, getting flashbacks from that. Um, and yeah, it's I, I've been really, really surprised by them because he hasn't really changed his football. It is completely on counter-attacking. I'm still thinking, is Terence Boyd ever going to get tired? Because he's one of the older players, and normally when you play that kind of football... It gets more tiring and you can't progress that for a whole season. We've obviously had like a two month break, so that could change it and they could keep this up. And it's all very interesting. And they have the best away form in which I didn't think their home form is basically trash. They've only had five home games, I think, as well. But home form is a lot worse than their away form, which is the best in the league. And yeah, I just don't understand them. I don't understand how they keep this up. Dirk Schuster is just known for his double promotions, I guess, as well, on top of that. Seeing what he did with Darmstadt. So it wouldn't be surprising if he somehow got Kaiserslautern up. I still don't think it will happen. But yeah, the way they're going, I can't discount that. I mean, the home form uh, mentioning that is actually quite interesting because... The Betzenberg is known to be like this bastion, this mythical place where teams go and uh, tend to shake in their boots. I mean, if you've grown up with German football history, you will know that Bayern's players, Paul Breitner famously said during the 70s, you know what, I'd rather not go to the Betzenberg, I'd rather just mail them the two points and stay away from that place because we're never going to win there anyway. But this hasn't been the case in, in the Bundesliga 2 for Kaiserslautern this year because they've actually taken 13 points from nine home matches. On the other hand side, they've had nine away matches and taken 19 points from them. They're unbeaten too. Unbeaten. Away from home. Yes, indeed. I mean, there have been quite a lot of draws as well at home for them. So, I mean, I mean the, the biggest problem they've been having so far is that they've actually been drawing quite a lot of tight matches as well, haven't they? Yeah, but they turned that around because in the last six matches, they got five wins and a draw. And taking that into account, they are still some points behind, although they have this incredible run. So I don't think they can keep that up. And on the other hand, their next away game is at St. Pauli. So this unbeaten run will be stopped. Great. Now that we've sorted that out, most of you will know that there has been a January transfer window. Now, let's highlight a few signings that we think are worth mentioning. Mike, I'm just going to start with you. I mean, which which of St. Pauli's signings was your favourite? I'm just going to ask you that. I'm a little bit disappointed that you didn't bring up a deadline day jingle that we were uh, able to play now. So, But nevertheless, we do the recording on the deadline day and it's it just stopped some minutes ago. So we are all so thrilled. <laughs> yeah, for St. Pauli, uh, it's Oladapo Afoleon. I hope I pronounced his family name in the correct way. At least this was uh, what I figured out on YouTube. And... 
am I allowed to sing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, of course, many people that listen to us probably are from England. So he's a striker from Bolton Wanderers. He was the uprising star last season. And uh, unfortunately, he was, the, or luckily for us, he was the victim of the system change in Bolton. And so he was not that good in, in the first half of this season. And now he moved to St. Pauli and he has become the hope for us for the rest of the season. And well, I, I will just do it and you will just need to listen to me. So there's a star man playing in brown white. His name is Ephelion and he's fucking dynamite. So right. That's great. That yeah. is top two. <laughs> oh my god, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, we will see when... I can, how... ap- I can appreciate the Britishness of yeah. that as well. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm just curious if we will manage to sing that along when he scores the three goals against Kaiserslautern to stop their unbeaten run away. Great. Jasmine, you know, I jotted down one signing as well. I, I see in the script that you've taken that. I think you've written down three signings, so walk us through those, guys. Yeah, I, I will leave the one, and you can expand on the one that we both chose, because I feel that's fair. Um, so I first chose Philip... St- oh, God, and there's another name I cannot pronounce. Philip Stoilkovic from Sion in the Swiss first tier has joined Darmstadt has apparently, and this is why these are honourable mentions before I get to the main one that you will then go on about, but honourable mention mainly because there was a rumour that, I don't know if it's true, I hope it is, I've run with it like it's true. Apparently he turned down Juventus for Darmstadt, so apparently Juventus wanted to send him out on loan straight away, which Stojkovic did not want. Darmstadt has been chasing him for a couple of seasons now and they finally get him. He's a striker, so a deep running striker, so more in those kind of teams where you want to run a lot, run and shoot, likes to get the ball in space and create a goal-scoring chance from there. Costs around two million as well, so he is their record transfer signing, I believe. So... Yep, hoping for big things from him. I believe he'll play with Philip Tietz in the 3-5-2 they suddenly got. My second honourable mention was Andres Nemet from KRC Genk. He's moved to Hamburg. Don't know that much about him, but I've heard he's good. So, honourable mentions. And the third was Dikolera on loan from SV Werder Bremen to Kaiserslautern. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think he's actually a great player at this level. I think he's quite good box-to-box. He's quite versatile. He can play in several positions. You can have him holding midfield. You can use him on, uh, you know, the eight, as the Germans would call it, a little bit further up the pitch. You can also have him, you know, in central defense if needs must and all that, even though it's not his best position. But I think he's actually got a good eye for the game and plays good passes and is good at initiating attacks as well as, you know, keeping his defense short up at this level. So I think... All in all, I think he's a great signing. Uh, you know, I mean, he's fallen out of the starting eleven under Oliver Werner. He was one of the victims of that coaching change from Anfang to Werner. Oh, Anfang loves him. Apparently, a Darmstadt third of home absolutely loves him. I mean, if if Anfang wouldn't coach a third division side right now, he probably would have you know <laughs> signed him again. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next season if the Dresden go up. 
if they go on the yeah. yeah. So, but you know, I think uh, for for Nikola Rupp, it's a loan deal last half season. I don't know if there's a buying option there as well. But what Nikola Rupp has said in the media is that he has been happy at Bremen for the last half year because he hasn't played an awful lot of football, and he wants to change that because a footballer who doesn't play football is not a happy guy. And uh, you know, I hope he gets happy at Kaiserslautern, and uh, <laughs> even if he loses to St. Pauli. That is um, absolutely great signing, and I think he will help Kaiserslautern a lot. And uh, yeah, whatever happens, I, I think we can already state now with a lot of certainty that Kaiserslautern have actually surpassed what we imagined they could do at the start of the season. And we're 18 matches into the season. So great season from them. Anything else you want to talk about in the Bundesliga 2 before we wrap this one up? Feinzel is really bad at Nuremberg. That's about it. Yeah, all right. All right. Um, <laughs> I'll allow it. Feel free to expand. No. <laughs> it's fine. No. Do I have to? Nah. I mean, I mean, the assumption is that he had one good yeah. stint at Augsburg and uh, since then things haven't really looked great, have they? Okay, we'll leave it at that and uh, we'll be back with uh, a little league update after the break. here we go it's time to dive into the lower leagues and some fan related news let's start with the dritte liga well mike if you would give our listeners an update if they haven't been following since november what's been going on since very quickly yeah the third league has uh, invented a new weekday it's the black tuesday you might know the black monday from the nfl where they sack all the coaches after the last uh, regular season day and uh, the third league now invented the black tuesday so today they sacked three coaches which i can't remember that this happened and especially after after only i think three games in this year after the winter break so yeah quite thrilling so it was uh, 1860 who sacked michael kölner it was Ingolstadt with uh, Rüdiger Rehm and Halle with André Meyer. And as 60 and uh, Ingolstadt is trailing behind their uh, promotion hopes, Halle is just in relegation battle and they are fighting for their lives. So very, very different reasons to do this. But uh, I think it's a big coincidence that all of them did that today. And if Halle wouldn't have lost on the weekend against Zwickau, if they would have won against Zwickau, then we would probably talk about uh, Joe Ennox being sacked. He's the coach from Zwickau who managed to survive with that win against Halle. So they are in a similar position. I mean, Halle, if you look at their form of late, uh, I mean, after the restart, they got a nil-nil against Essen, but then they lost to Wiesbaden and Zwickau, as you mentioned, but before the break, they lost to Saarbrück and they lost to Ingolstadt, lost to Osnabrück. I mean, they've got basically four points from the last seven matches, so things are going into the wrong direction for them. 1860, a little bit more strange if you just look at the table, because... They are sort of still in the proximity of the uh, promotion ranks, but that one surely must be about the form of the team of late as well, right, Jasmine? Yeah, after the restart, Michael Kilner only had one win in seven, and the win was against Spickau. He drew against uh, Rottweiss Essen, 
and lost all the other five games. Um, they're now seven points off automatic promotion, which, remember, a couple of months before into the season, they were quite comfortable in those top two spaces. I can't remember which one, because I'm pretty sure Elfersberg has stayed in one for most of the season before this period. So it's been quite a fall from grace. I think the most surprising thing is not quite the sacking, it's more when they have chosen to carry out these sackings, because we've had two months off. If you had any sort of feeling, and this goes for all of the um, coaches at the moment, and this goes to into other leagues as well, if you had any sort of feeling that they weren't performing to a point that you'd sack them two, three games into after a restart, you could have had a new coach the preseason and all of that and giving that new coach time to adapt. So I think it's quite, it could be quite silly depending on who they get in for now. Because as you said, seven points is not the biggest gap to make up, especially in the second or third league in Germany. We've seen teams go on crazy runs before, but to do it after a restart when you could have had that period is very strange to me. A little bit further behind them is Ingolstadt on 31 points, uh, 5 points off the promotion playoff, 9 points off direct promotion. Now that was also bad form, this. 3 losses on the bounce after the restart basically was the one that broke the camel's back for Rudiger Rehm. He's now gone. I mean, what it does tell me about the Dritte Liga is that long-term projects and long-term thinking don't belong there. Because all of these teams have, I mean... Ingolstadt and 1860 want to get promoted, so they don't want to allow for another season in the Dritte Liga. Halle are panicking because they might get relegated and that drop to the Regionalliga is just too much to handle, financially speaking, for any club down there. So really, the, the Dritte Liga is sort of under a curse when it comes to you know developing some long-term structures and a culture that you know breeds success through stability. Wouldn't you agree, Mike? Yeah, you don't have the financial situation which can um, give you the possibility to stay there in a few for for a few years. So I'm already surprised that 8060 still managed to play in that league for some years now. Probably wouldn't be impossible without Hassani's mic. And yeah, you just need to get out of this league as soon as possible. Otherwise, they will get you out. But to the other direction. And that makes it interesting to see what happens with the likes of Dinamo Dresden and Osnabrück because they've recently gone through, well, gotten relegated. Osnabrück obviously sacked their coach for the other Schweinsteiger and Dinamo Dresden went through a rough patch but have kept with Marcus Anfang. So it's interesting to see, and Osnabrück I'm just mentioning because their form has suddenly gone wild because they've now had a preseason on top with the other Schreinsteiger, which is how I will refer to him at all times, because I cannot remember his first name. But just just call him Anna Ivanovich's brother-in-law. <laughs> he would love that, I'm sure. But yeah, especially in the case of Dinamo Dresden, didn't Mannheim change their coach this season? Because they're the other one with a crazy unbeaten run at the moment. So... It shows what you can do when you sack a coach early. But yeah, my eyes are on Dinamo Dresden. You could argue he probably have a little bit more financial power given the area and everything 
about infrastructure. But on top, they've not sacked the coach when you could say Ardina Motriesden should be the same points as Elfersberg and BMW Spaden. So that's one to look out for to see how they develop their team and how they move up. Yeah, that is going to be exciting to follow. And uh, maybe we should do a podcast just about the Dresden one day because they're quite an interesting case study. Anyways, talking about the other Dynamo, BFC Dynamo Berlin, their ultra group has dissolved. Now, Mike, what happened there? Do we need to explain probably uh, this dissolve your group because your banner is stolen from another group thing? Is this a typical German thing or do yeah, they... Yeah, yeah, well, I think, I, I, I think, I <laughs> yeah, think we yeah. have to explain that. Yes, I think we, you might have to do that. Yeah, because we don't have these banners thing in England, right? Yeah, so if your uh, ultra main banner is stolen, robbed or burned from yourself or from another group, you need to dissolve your group. That's the law. That's the law, yeah. <laughs> That's the law. It's easy as it is. Um, yeah, and this exactly happened to Ultras BFC Dynamo after a home game against uh, SV Lichtenberg on Friday evening. And one lonely guy went home with the banner in his, I don't know, rucksack probably. And right in front of his uh, house or flat or whatever, there were some guys waiting in a car and they robbed the banner. They also beat him up, I think. So it was definitely not funny for him. Of course, no one believes that this happened from the SV Lichtberg guys. So probably it was someone from, well, I would say Union Berlin, but you don't know, of course. Babelsberg might be another possibility. Yeah, I doubt that, but of course, possible. Yeah, and so they announced on the next day that they will dissolve themselves. Of course, uh, they uh, also stated that there will be revenge. Uh, they will try to chase the guys who did that and that they were cowards and so on. Death to all the enemies of our beloved BFC Dynamo and all the things that you write as an ultra group after. But how, how can you organize a chase if you stop organizing? Yeah, but but we as individuals, we will still go there. It's it's just a new name. We will not call ourselves Ultras BFC Dynamo any longer. We will call ourselves BFC Dynamo Ultras. It's like oh. in the Monty Python classic <laughs> Life of Ryan. It's not the... Oh, I don't know the English version. So it's it's um, they will come back in in probably just another way. Maybe some people who are too old after eleven years will not return, but most of them will return and just with a new name and that's it and a new banner, of course. All right. So if you want another long-term project and plan something funny, steal that. Talking about ultra culture in Germany, uh, a big part of it, or a lot of the public discussion around ultra culture, fan culture in Germany, has surrounded the use of pyrotechnics. Now, the ZDF show Frontal took a closer look at it, and they actually came up with some surprising findings. Mike, so what did they find? It, 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 in general, it's about legalizing pyrotechnic, and we do have this discussion for many, many years. I mean, one of, one of the interesting findings was actually the fact that the DFB is actually profiting from finding the clubs every time this happens. 
So it's actually become kind of a money cow for the DFB to, you know, have, you know, pyrotechnics being burned at matches, club gets fined, club pays up, DFB gets another few thousands on its bank account. It's actually quite profitable for them. And, uh, I mean, when you see that the DFB actually gets a lot of cash flowing into its bank account from these fines, you wonder, why hasn't there been any sort of reasonable discussion between the DFB, the fans, and the clubs about legalizing it or finding some sort of way of how fans can actually use it in a manner that works for everyone? Because the fans are ready, the clubs are getting more and more ready. I mean, you've had several clubs in the top tier in the Bundesliga saying that, yes, we should have pyrotechnics at matches. So there's definitely room to, you know, meet each other here halfway. Yeah, but it's forbidden. Full stop. But, but why? <laughs> That's it. Because they profit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do understand that it's really difficult for the DFB to allow it because if anything happens, because someone is not treating pyrotechnic in the applicable way, and if someone gets injured or, I don't know, even dies because he is too stupid to hold it and puts it right into his own face, I don't know, then, of course, you are to blame. And as we are in Germany, this needs to be solved by the law. And the law says this is not allowed. And that's it. Full stop for the DFB. But we are now in 2023. Maybe it's time to, to bring up that discussion in a good way. And, and maybe this discussion now starts. I live in Norway and pyrotechnics have been used at matches here for years and years and years and years and nothing has ever happened because... No one died. No one has died. Nobody has burned their faces or anything. And I mean, the reason for that is that you actually have to have a safety concept and that safety concept has to be okayed by the local fire department. And if you know one thing about the fire departments anywhere in Europe, I would assume, is that they're not too keen on fires getting started and they want very specific and rigorous safety measures in place before they allow anything to be lit on fire. Additionally, in terms of the safety argument, that sort of falls flat on his face when you compare, you know, the two scenarios here. Because the one scenario is that pyrotechnics are used without any supervision, without any safety precautions on the one hand side, and you just say, well, that is illegal. On the other hand side, you actually have safety precautions in place and, you know, you have a fire department and cane and everything. I mean, what is more dangerous? The most dangerous scenario is that you use pyrotechnics and then the security comes and pushes you from the fence and um, your pyrotechnic is flying around. And this is the dangerous scenario, which happened some years ago. And I think now the security is smarter and they don't do it anymore. But yeah, I think a, a good pyrotechnic security instruction and so on this this is something that we need because it will not stop there will always be pyrotechnic at football games i really don't think that this will ever stop no law can stop this from happening so we need to find a, a better way to to deal with it and to legalize it great let's leave it at that are you guys into your regionality right about now jasmine I uh, I keep an eye on one team at the bottom of the Regionalliga Nordost, and there's a big story behind that. I think I'll reveal it towards the end of the season. 
Ooh, cliffhanger. I do like it. <laughs> I'm intrigued. So, so Mike, uh, what? I'll, I'll keep it short. I keep it short. Keep it short. I mean, what yeah. do I, pro- I promise? Uh, sort of like <laughs> a closer look at what's going on in the promotion races. Yeah. Uh, in, in in the five different regional ligas. So, uh, well, let's let's start where you are uh, in the north. What's going on in the north? Yeah. Sh- short recap: We do have five regional ligas, and we do have this stupid scenario that only four clubs only go up uh, so uh, this year the north west and southwest leagues will go up directly west and southwest does that every year i think so uh only north northeast and bavaria always go for two promotion places and they do playoffs and every year another one goes up directly so this year the champion of the north will go up, which will be either VFB Lübeck or HSV2. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, they also said that they will uh, apply for it. So, um, yeah, let's, let's see. Even more thrilling, the northeast, it's Cottbus, Rot-Weiß Erfurt, Chemnitz, Berliner AK, Lok Leipzig, BFC Dynamo and Karlsheiz Jena. This is not the whole league. It's just the, f- the teams that are only five points apart from each other. So seven teams all trying to get promoted. If they get first in Northeast, they do need to play against the champion of Bavaria. And this could be, at the moment, either Unterhaching or Würzburger Kickers. Right. These so- are the two clubs fighting for promotion. So let's see which Nazis are going to Unterhaching or Würzburg. <laughs> Well, we, we, we do have Kalsas Jena in the race and Berliner AK is also not so bad, I think. That is correct. I mean, yes, Berliner AK is actually a multicultural club and I'm, I'm doing them not a lot of justice here by, by generalizing <laughs> a lot. But when, when you see that list, Coppers, well, I mean, the, the Nazis who did the Macarena on, on YouTube, <laughs> that was great fun. Chemnitz, my word, I mean, where to start with them? They've had the security guy uh, who was a well-known Nazi being, you know, getting a memorial at, at their stadium during a match day. Lok Leipzig, uh, well, we've talked a lot about them, and the BFC Dynamo. We just talked about them. And Rotweiss Erfurt. I, I think that the club actually tried to have like a rainbow color on the corner flags or something a few years back and uh, stating in a press statement that, you know, Rotweiss Erfurt is colorful, which the Ultra group didn't like particularly stating that Rotweiss Erfurt is red and white and, you know, get the hell out with your rainbow bullshit. So, you know, it's not the sort of bunch of uh, fan groups I, I necessarily would like to join myself, if I'm being honest. But anyways, uh, we were supposed to keep this short. Yeah, we, we do have the West and the Southwest, so, and their two teams are pretty, pretty safe. So it will be Preußen Münster from the West. They are eight points clear of the next. And for Southwest, it's SSV Ulm, who were in first league some more years ago. Uh, They are seven points clear of the second place. So these two teams probably will go up. All right, Jasmine, quick pop quiz question. Who's the most famous coach who's coached SSV Ulm? Uh, Ralph Dagnick. That is correct. And uh, Preußen Münster, when did they play in the Bundesliga? 1964. 1963, 1964. That is correct. Great. I think that wraps everything up for this episode. This episode has been produced by Aiden Rental with the 
utmost of care. My name is Nick Piltong. I'll be talking to you once again in, in four weeks' time as I'll be off for a much-needed vacation. Because, boy, do I need it. Anyways, you guys, uh, Jasmine, uh, where can people find your work and where can they find on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter. Yeah, it's underscore Jasmine Vava. You'll find all my work on there. Every month I have a column on ESPN. Every now and then you can find that there. Right. Mike, how about you? My Twitter handle is Mike Crew, and I can be found also on the Milan Tour. Great. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Musings. You can usually find me at the bar. The Twitter handle of this podcast is at Talking Foosball. Next up on this feed is Matt Herman with another episode of Talking Foosball and the Bundesliga wrap. Until next time, it is goodbye for now.